Before we get started in this episode, a quick announcement. As you know, I'm very passionate about acceptance and commitment therapy, and I also run a busy practice in Canberra. We're currently looking for psychologists who are registered in Australia to join our team, who are also passionate about learning about ACT. We provide supervision on a group and individual basis and training around ACT. So if this is you, if you're interested, please express your interest at strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers. Look forward to hearing from you. And now back to this episode. Okay, life can be crazy. You're feeling like you're sinking. Just trying to find a meaning. It's time for better thinking. Yeah, better thinking. Time to tune in. Let's go. Welcome back to Better Thinking. My name's Nash Nicholich, and my guest today is Dr. Jody Fleming. She is a clinical and health psychologist with a special interest in chronic illness management and psycho-oncology. Jody interned in the psycho-oncology service at the Mater Hospital and worked at the John Hunter Children's Cancer Hospital in Newcastle, New South Wales. She has also worked in an outpatient mental health service and in a hospital rehabilitation ward treating patients with a variety of health conditions, including cancer, diabetes, stroke, and chronic pain, to name a few. Jody has also been involved in the oncology rehabilitation program at St. John of God Healthcare and is currently running psychology sessions in the survivorship program at Southwest Healthcare. Today's conversation moves from understanding chronic illness management to finding value during difficult times and also seeking spaces to grow both as human beings and as psychologists. I found this episode personally moving as I think it asked me to grapple with my own sense of humanness and ask some bigger questions. Hope you enjoy this episode. Jody, a big thank you for coming on to the program today. Ah, thank you so much for having me. I still think you found the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I'm very interested to, to speak with you and the reason for reaching out is to learn a little bit more about the world of you know chronic illness and, and, and that management and in many ways try and find that overlap, at least for myself, of understanding how that might look not in, even from just a disease sense, but the way that we live as human beings. It feels to me, at least part of my philosophy is that we all have in some sense a, a, a chronic um, illness uh, called being human, you know, that we're all leading in that direction. That's certainly not taking away from those who um, have a, a medical illness, um, but it, it, it does in my mind, you know, pose this question of, of a reminder of us being here very temporarily on, on earth. And, and obviously well, for chronic illness, sometimes that's much shorter, um, sadly. And, you know, for, for others, we can somehow try and find a way to manage it. But uh, really looking forward to speaking to you about this world um, and, and hear about your experiences and we can meander from there. Awesome. I love that idea. <laughs> How did you get into this space, if you don't mind me asking, to get to, to get started? Oh, well, it's a funny, my pathway into psychology is a very long <laughs> meandering pathway, actually. Um, I am one of those people, um, I didn't prepare very well in year 12, I don't think. 
although I had the goal of wanting to be a psychologist, I didn't get the marks I needed and so took a different path um, straight out of high school and I ended up becoming a myotherapist and a myotherapist is pretty much a remedial massage therapist and one of our placements, um, this was in Melbourne at the time, was at the, I think it's called the Fairfield um, was a rehabilitation hospital and at that time this is like the early 90s they had um, a ward where people were still living in iron lungs I know I know you're going where are we going with this but <laughs> so we went in for this placement I think we went in once a week for a period of weeks and we would you know massage these very very you know um, solid muscles these poor people who are you know lying in active and, um, you know, being able to to chat to them and, you know, kind of see the human side of their experience of, of living in an iron lung, which, um, and if your audience are not quite sure what that is, um, maybe Google it, but be prepared to be quite confronted. Um, but also at that hospital, there was uh, a cancer ward and there was also um, an HIV AIDS ward as well and I remember being very uh, clearly struck by the idea that if I wanted to make a difference in the world if I really wanted to help and contribute in some way that I couldn't think of a, a better way than to help people and their families who were going through a cancer experience. And I didn't even go near the people with cancer while we were doing these placements. But I guess my head started moving and my heart into, um, you know, that health realm then. Um, anyway, fast forward quite a few years. Um, I was living overseas and I was kind of got that little niggle to, you know, go back to psychology. I've always been fascinated by human behavior I love people I love connecting with people I love helping people I just love people and um I was kind of toying with the idea of okay well I might go back and study again and I managed to find a, a distance education like a degree that I could do while I was living in Spain um through Deakin University uh, and back then, like, I think we, we did have the internet because there was email, but back then they would mail you like your hard <laughs> cover books and notes all printed out and um, you'd get them in the mail. Hilarious. And uh, I remember going into the Australian embassy and doing my exams and all of those things. Um, I remember the reading bricks and everything else that, that you'd have to go and pick up. <laughs> so funny, but I love highlighting. So it was my jam, totally. Um so it wasn't until, yeah, then kind of late 20s, early 30s that I, I went back into studying psychology. And by that stage, well and truly had my heart set on um, becoming a psycho-oncologist. And at that point, um, there was a book called The Human Side of Cancer um, by Jimmy C. Holland, who worked at Memorial Sloan Kettering which is a cancer hospital in New York, and um, she was the you know the the god of of psycho oncology, and uh, I devoured anything and everything she <laughs> wrote and said, and um, and you know throughout my training, you know every essay, every my thesis, both theses, um, the fourth year and the um, my doctorate 
thesis revolved around, you know, themes within psycho-oncology. Um, and, you know, everything went according to plan. And I, you know, did my placements. I managed to do one um, at one of the, I was living in Newcastle at the time, at the Marta um, in Newcastle uh, with some wonderful colleagues and learnt so much. And that was about the same time that I was learning uh, acceptance and commitment therapy. We all were. It was kind of, you know, the, I don't want to call it a circus, but, you know, the, the training came to town sure. and everyone jumped on board. And um, and so a lot of what I was experiencing and learning uh, in those, in that placement was related to ACT. Um, and that, that just opened up a whole, you know, um, world to me. I, I, cause oh, I don't want to say anything bad about CBT, but it felt very limited. Um, I was noticing it was very limited when I was working with clients and, and act just seemed to speak to my soul a little bit, I think. <laughs> mm, it just resonates so, for some and, and it doesn't yeah. take away the value from CBT as you obviously note, but, uh, you know, when it resonates and it makes sense, it, it makes it much more accessible for the Absolutely. clinician. And Absolutely. then obviously uh, I think it then allows it to be much more accessible to the client. Mm. Uh, can I just Absolutely. jump back a moment and, and just ask you about the the interest in in oncology and i ask the question because not only psychologists but i think humans in general we are so afraid of going into difficult areas you know where whether it's you know working with people who are you know in the uh, criminal system um whether it is around obviously death and dying, you know, terminal illnesses, or at least the fear of, they're areas that we don't like to go in as as humans, you know, and and, and I think that also is true for psychologists in in general, uh, on a general sense, as well, because we're human first, and then we play a you know psychologist role. What was it that? grabbed you about that space because it's quite quite unusual at least it feels to me I think because it is so difficult and many people do find it so difficult um that's why I chose it I, mm. I think I was looking for where I could make the biggest difference and I remember thinking to myself that you know what what would be one of the hardest things to ever go through in your life hmm. and um having cancer or or losing a loved one to cancer was what I came up with and so I think a big part of that um that desire um came from that I knew it would be hard um, because I think also, you know, I, I listened to your episode on death anxiety and um, death anxiety forms a big part of the work you do in psycho-oncology and, um, and our, you know, our human brains, our very primal human brains are, are hardwired to uh, avoid death. And, and in part, I sometimes wonder, you know, this is with hindsight looking back, whether my own fear of death was a big part of why I wanted to work in this space as well. That wasn't conscious, that part of it, but I do think looking back now that perhaps that played a role for sure. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's um tricky what I so I was well on that path when I met my now ex-husband who um was a, a friend of mine from high school so we had a a long uh friendship history and we met again back in the hometown Christmas Eve um and he had just had surgery for testicular cancer um and I was like wow you know here I am studying all of this stuff and then in walks this man um and it was right at the time that he was about to start six months worth of chemotherapy. Like back then it took forever. Um, and even 13 years ago, well, I'll get to that. But um, so that was in, when was that? The early 2000s. Um, and so then I essentially became his person through his his cancer journey and I got that, you know, firsthand you know, carer, quote unquote, experience. Um, and I was thinking to myself the whole time, this is fantastic. What an opportunity. I'm really getting this firsthand experience. Not only am I working with my, you know, or will I be working with clients who are going through this? I'm learning so much about it from this personal perspective as well. This will really um, enrich make my work more, you know, enriched and deep and I don't know. Um, so so that happened as well and that kind of just further solidified that, yes, I'm on the right path, this is what I want to do. Um, yeah. And then two things happened straight out of university. I got a part-time role um, in a children's cancer hospital as a psycho-oncologist um, and then I also worked part-time in a private practice. And within my first couple of weeks uh, working in the private practice, um, I I had a new client. Um, she was 36 years old, mother of two small children. Um, and she came to talk to me about something, whatever it was. Um, and at the end of the appointment, she said, oh, I'm off to have an ultrasound on my breast now. I found a lump. It'll be just my luck. It'll be cancer. And we both said, oh, don't say that. No, you'll be fine, you know, all the platitudes. Um, and off she went. And then two weeks later, um, her name was in my diary again. And she came back. To, it makes me emotional to think about it still for her. Um very strange she came back two weeks later and told me that in fact she'd been diagnosed with stage four breast cancer mm -hmm. and what she wanted um was for me to um she wanted to work with me so that um we could help her children so that when she wasn't here anymore they'd have someone to talk to and she just taught me so much about living and dying um Ten months later, she I visited her at home two days before she died and she said to me, um, I would rather have lived the last ten months the way I did um, than to have lived to 80 living the way I did before she knew she was going to die. And we did a lot of act work um, and I just thought, you know, it's, you know, in act training, they get you to do the, the, the funeral eulogy mm. or the 80-year-old mm. self-reflection. And 
I think about her all the time um, and about how, you know, choosing the life that you want to live regardless of dying with cancer um, and how happy she was at the end. Like it just taught me so much. And then, of course, working in a children's cancer ward, which everyone goes, oh, how could you do that? That must have been so horrible. And, and yes, it was because there was some... Um, we we lost some patients, of course we did, but not as many as you think um, you might. Treatments are so good and I imagine they're even more advanced now. And But it is a very um, challenging time for families, for siblings, um, and, of course, for the, the patient as well. Um, but, you know, when you've got four-year-olds, eight-year-olds, there was mm. one very special eight-year-old um, who... I write about in my book, um, who he just taught me everything there was to know about not fearing death. And he's, um, I think he's like 21 now. He, I still, you know, he pops up on Facebook every now and then. And I just think about my my clients, my patients who are, who have taught me so much more than I ever could have taught them. Such a such an amazing space to work in. Mm. It's so incredible. I, I reflect as you talk about my understanding of life and, and this whole concept of being human and that that itself is, you know, a, a terminal experience. There, there, there's an end point to that. And I don't think I understood that very well uh, until my best friend was um, diagnosed and died from, from cancer. Oh, and even though that opportunity to learn was there with others, you know, uh, I've had other family members pass away, you know, friends of friends of the family and, and the like, as we all have, if you've, you know, got to, to, you know, our reasonable age, you've seen at least some of it, at least most of us have, but it didn't ever strike me uh, as it did once it was that close. And, that close. Um, and there's, there's almost, you know, hearing you talk about it, there's almost a, I feel like a similarity there that there's a positive side as well. There's, there's, there's something to try and embrace. Um, like your client who said the, those, those 10 months, you know, clearly she learned something. She understood something, something shifted that um, made a difference in the way that she, she lived. And I remember my friend, um, uh, uh, how he was through his uh, couple of years of of treatment before his his passing, um, you know he was he was strong, he was stubborn, he he was fighting the whole time, and and I celebrated that in my mind and 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 with him as well about saying, do it your way, you know, go out fighting, you know, and 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 you know uh, that was important I think for him to to do. Um, and, you know, there were those harder times when, you know, you'd kind of drop the fight going, oh, my goodness, I think it's got me. And then you'd kind of fight again. And um, it's like, you do it in your way, mate. You know, it's there's something special about that. And so it kind of grounds um, uh, us if, if we have that opportunity to try and reflect. And it sounds like, you know, some of those clients, whether it's it's um, the first client you spoke about or, or the eight-year-old boy, um, 
you know that that they are such frightening times and and but there's sometimes uh something to get from that and i say that with the utmost respect for anyone listening as well um often those things can't be understood immediately um and for some never so for some you can never find find that and and that's okay too you know there's not a requirement to find anything it's time to be respectful and thoughtful uh, for all people the person passing but also you know the loved ones remaining oh and, and it's such a personal experience and everybody does do it differently and and yeah everybody has a different capacity don't they we think about you know stress-related growth or post-traumatic growth um you know it's such when you're somebody who can experience that uh, and grow from adversity uh, what greater gift in life is there because I'm thinking a couple of things as you're talking as well. Um, that I keep thinking about that Buddhist quote, um, the problem is we think we have time. Like mm-hmm. I think, you know, when there's no, um, when we're not facing or having to face our mortality, you know, getting to 90 seems like a given and it seems so far away. Uh, and so, you know, there's that tendency for our brain to always overestimate how much time we think we have as well. Um, And so we'll say yes to the things that may not be so important to us because we think we've got time to do the important things later. And yet this is what I love about ACT so much and positive psychology, you know, it really reminds you that you need to be really conscious and intentional with what is valuable and what's important mm. to you because if you don't start investing your time and your energy and your heart <laughs> um, in things that are important to you, everything seems equally important. But yeah, everything yeah. is not equally important and especially when you've got a limited time. So I think that is the true gift um, that comes with something like that. It's, you know, you don't have all the time. It's so beautifully said because it it is very much that about trying to understand not the theory of values, you know, not not the book interpretation of of living, you know, a life that is, you know, based around who and what's important, but in actual fact, doing so. Um, I I. I think when something like this presents itself through, whether it's you know, cancer or other chronic illnesses, or sometimes even the fear of, you know, that 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 we found a lump, but we don't know. So that that's a moment that has potentially provided itself to 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 learn from. And uh, it's hard to kind of continue to remember that. Um, and, and and sometimes chronic illness, you know, the management of uh, does provide that opportunity. But you know, especially with, I can't imagine with little ones what that's like. You know, I'm I very much resonate with what you say. You know, people like, well, what? How could you work there? And 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 then at the same time, I resonate with you know, but this is the most important work as well. Where can I do, where can I do something really important? It's not the most important, my pleasure, but, but where can I do something incredibly important and, and, and helping others in their greatest need, um, you know, is, is just so impressive. And, and, you know, we need more people like you willing to, to, to step into that area and say, I don't have to, I want to. 
you know, it's important. You know what's interesting with that, though? You know, there's, and this is another human fault, <laughs> flaw, we always think bad things happen to other people. Yeah. Like there was, and not that this was conscious either, but, you know, there was, I'm working in this space with people who have cancer and my role is to help. I'm the helper. Um, and somewhere in there is a belief, a subconscious belief, that this happens to these families but it doesn't happen to mine or it doesn't happen to me. And, mm. I mean, given that my husband at the time had cancer, I mean, obviously, clearly I knew that it it could. But maybe even within our family, I thought, well, it's, it's happened to him. It won't happen to me. And not that you, I don't know, like you don't even think about it as a possibility um, mm. until it happens. <laughs> Because, spoiler alert, um, in 2010, uh, just at the point my marriage did end, actually, uh, I had found a lump and had gone to the doctor and had um, a biopsy on it. And it's a really interesting thing because you become, uh, I guess, overly anxious. It's a real um health anxiety when you're working with people with cancer and even though I've just I'm just contradicting myself because I said there's this belief that I wouldn't ever get cancer and I think that was there but at the same time so too was oh here are these lumps and a bit of hypervigilance about checking and you know doing the right things because you're seeing people who look like you and who are your age and um you know do the things that you do and move in the circles that you move in and they're getting it so um, our brains are always weighing up, you know, that doesn't want to believe that anything bad can happen because I think that's our very strong survival instinct, isn't it? Um, but then at the same time, survival tells you go get checked, make sure that you are healthy and well. And um, what you said before about, you know, even, you know, have finding a lump and there's the, the Schrodinger's cat, you know, it's both there and it isn't at the same time and sitting in that space can be enough to give people perspective that can be like whoa that was a near miss okay and now I want to you know reorganize my priorities and I want to you know choose differently for myself I'm so lucky or, or whatever we might tell ourselves whatever the story is um and then I oh, there's so much to talk about because then you you get the lump and then you get told the thing um, you have breast cancer and oh, the way mine happened was fairly horrendous um, so I was working at the kids cancer hospital this day and it, I'd had the biopsy and I was going away for Easter so this was it must have been the Wednesday before Easter and I was flying to Melbourne on the Thursday uh, and we didn't have phone service in the hospital like so I came out at the end of the day and I was actually going between the hospital and private practice and my phone pinged that I had a voicemail and it was the GP. And I'm not sure that GPs ever leave messages, you know, like this. <laughs> but it was, Jody. we've got your biopsy results. I've scheduled you an urgent appointment tomorrow morning to come in and discuss them. And 
hang up. <laughs> so, of course, I'm walking to my car and I felt like I'd just been, I don't know, hit by a bus. It was horrendous. I couldn't breathe. Um, and it was a funny thing because I got in the car and a lot of my clients who I'd worked with, including um, the lady that I was talking about before, came into my mind and I sat there and I consciously thought, now I get it. Now I get what being told something like that must feel like. Because, and then the next part was I just felt so um, ill-equipped and redundant <laughs> in whatever it was I had tried to say or do with them to help <laughs> in that moment, um, which was also amazing because from that point on, every experience that I had completely changed the way I worked with people with cancer. Um and not that I recommend having a personal experience to get that insight by no means. Um, but I was able to look at the tools when I eventually remembered that I was a psychologist and I probably had some um, and go, oh, I would never even mention that to someone ever again. But here are some that worked really well or here are some that worked reasonably well and maybe they worked for some people, didn't work for me, but it might for them or whatever. Um yeah, so very, very fascinating, mm. um, yeah, experience. <laughs> Gerda, could you try and put words to, and I know this is very difficult, but can you try and put words to what it means that, that now I get it? What what was it that you got? I, I think I got my mortality um and i think yeah i think that's what i got mm. i i think it's you know you've got somebody who's been diagnosed with cancer and by the time they get to you in your psychology office you know their the shock might be wearing off they're probably in you know, at least planning mode. They're finding ways they can start to take control or at least you're there to help them find those ways. Um, and they still look like them, <laughs> you know. Um, so they so they can sit there and they can cry and they can describe it to you. And I thought I would, you know, and I think we are very good at empathising um, but like you said before, you know, we've, we watch a lot of people suffer every day. And I don't know whether it's a part of our own, you know, professional boundaries or, um, you know, our, our own, you know, self-care um, that allows us to have that emotional distance that, that lets us keep turning up to work every day, really, and that prevents us from burning out. Um, but having it happened to myself I think I was also acknowledging I thought I understood what they were telling me and showing me but now I understand mm. yeah. it's it's that idea of it happens to others I still know my mortality but it happens to others yeah. versus 
I know my mortality and it's happening right now. Yeah. The the clock has moved forward and you know, I, didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Big. It's, it, 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 it's immense and, and, and that's something that you're able to hold and, and have when connecting with others, when understanding others in, in a unique sense in that it, it's actually occurred for you um, and, yeah. and, and to you. Um, uh, I hope you're doing well today um uh, and i can't imagine how that would have changed your practice you know in that, mm-hmm. that, that uh, uh, uh can you talk me through that if that's okay that, that you you were working still with 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 uh people in that exact space um at the time yeah i look back at that now as well and go wow what was that what was that choice um so I had moved uh, to Warrnambool by that stage um, because uh, my I wanted to have treatment where my family were for support, and I'd gotten the most incredible job at this at the hospital, um, St John of God Healthcare, and I was working both across the the health services centre, which is the rehab department, and also the outpatient mental health service, which was really kind of like a private practice. Um, and I, I think, well, so a lot of, lot of change had happened. I'd, I'd had to leave my city. I had to leave my friends. My marriage had ended. I had to leave my house. Um, I had to leave good weather. <laughs> I, you know, um, I left my doctor. I, you know, I, I left everything. And I think I wanted something to stay the same. And I also knew that I needed to be doing something. So I needed to work and I got that amazing job and they were wonderful um, and they were very flexible and told me to have all the time off that I needed. And um, But I, I needed something to stay the same and I knew that I couldn't just sit around it. Like I'd moved back into my mum and dad's. I was 37. I had never felt like such a failure in my entire life. Um, and I couldn't just sit there all day thinking about how bad my life was. So um, I went to help other people. <laughs> and it was amazing working. So what would happen was I I had six rounds of chemotherapy um, and for the week of chemotherapy I didn't work. Like I'm not that much of a crazy martyr. Um, but the two, <laughs> the two weeks in between I did. Um, so it was one week off two weeks on um and again I can't and this might sound grandiose or it might um um I hope I don't think it was grandiosity at all but I, I I felt like oh I have even more to give now because I am aware of this personal perspective of it and I I wasn't um I wasn't seeing a lot of people with cancer, as I um, explained. Mm-hmm. I live in a, you know, it's very general practice. But, um, for example, there was a lady uh, who contacted me who uh, we had very similar tra- 
trajectories uh, of, from diagnosis um, through, you know, treatment types and so on. Um, and she asked if I would work with her children. Um, and I thought, okay, well, that's a degree removed and I've worked with kids with cancer before and I've worked for Canteen. Um, so I had a lot of experience working with siblings and children. Um, so I said yes to that and she and I kind of formed a bit of a peer relationship and I know we're not supposed to do the whole dual relationship thing but it's really tricky in small towns and we were finding ourselves at you know similar events and things and and just by the nature of the beast you want to connect with someone who really gets it and um so there was her and um there's one other person that really comes to mind and it was another lady who was probably I don't know she was a bit older than me, but had exactly the same diagnosis. Anyway, my oncologist had double checked. Are you sure you want to work with cancer patients? And I'm like, yes, yes, I can do everything. I'm fine. So she referred me some and she referred me this lady. And um, this lady, though, <laughs> was my biggest lesson of all um, because she, she sought... Uh, other opinions and she also pursued an alternative treatment pathway um, and she would come into our sessions and she would um, talk about statistics in ways that were very not helpful for my mental health and well-being because they immediately would trigger my death anxiety and I'd be like not able to focus or concentrate. Sorry, there's a dog barking outside the, um, in our session. And obviously I then had to terminate therapy with her and, and transfer her across to another clinician. Um, and at that point I was able to go, oh, probably shouldn't be working in this space. It's probably a bit soon uh, and made the decision to have a big break um, and probably didn't see anybody with cancer for more than five years after that because of that transference stuff counter transference stuff um but in terms of working with people it was also you know I'm going through chemo and I struggled I struggled big time I um the first three cycles of chemo were like nothing I could have ever prepared for or imagined and I would literally lie there for five days because you get chemo on a Tuesday and I would lie there from that point forward until Sunday about 5 p.m. <laughs> like clockwork. But it was that I had the darkest, darkest thoughts um, of just not wanting to be here anymore because I didn't think I could, could do it. It was so awful. So... I spent three cycles like that and I think I just got sick of myself and I was like, come off it. Like it doesn't have to be this hard, surely. <laughs> like surely there's something that can help here. And that's when I remembered, oh, you're a psychologist, mate. You, you used to work in this area. You studied in this area. You know, you know some things. How about you go looking in your toolkit? And I pulled out mindfulness of emotions. And I pulled out the self as the observer and I pulled out acceptance and I pulled out willingness and I pulled out my values and 
um, put it all together. And it started with the the worst side effect from the chemo for me was just this unrelenting nausea. And so I began with that um, and I, I began uh, just visualising what shape, you know, if I traced the outline of this feeling, what shape would it make? Um, you know, if I could touch it, what would it feel like? If I could smell it, what would it smell like? If, you know, is it hot, cold, you know, whatever. Um, and what I noticed as I was moving through that practice was just this little drop in the intensity of the nausea and I had a reprieve and I was able to make a choice to watch an episode of Friends or pick up my book or have a sleep or something that I wasn't able to do while I was busy struggling with the nausea and wishing it was different. So that began my true, true love affair of mindfulness practice. Um, but also I think really, really using my values to motivate towards choice, like in terms of what I, how I was living my day in my life and really having to look at um, the my thoughts and the stories that I was telling myself because um, I, I literally went from I don't want to be here anymore, like those kinds of thoughts. And imagine thinking that day after day, you know, week after week of chemo, like oh, just horrendous, um, to my story flipped a bit, especially on that Sunday when the sun came out to, you know, I'm as strong as an ox. Look at what my body's doing here. Um, I was so proud of it. Like I so I, the minute I found out I had a lump, I fell in love with every part of my body, to be honest. And I tried to create a relationship with that lump um, because I was thinking, I don't want it going rogue and spreading everywhere. Let's just be friends. <laughs> Let's, I don't know. Um, you know, everyone has their different ideas about how this stuff works. And back then I had no idea what I was talking about. I didn't even really understand the um, the real power of, you know, the food we were putting into our bodies and, and the impact that that could have. Or um, I know a lot more now. I'm probably just lucky I survived to get through to learn this stuff now. But um, I think I really learnt the power of mindfulness, um, the power of our our thinking processes um, and the, and how that impacts the quality of our life and the satisfaction we have with our life because I could still feel quite satisfied with my life even though I was in bed for a week. You know, I didn't have to be, if I was telling myself I could have been travelling overseas, but no, I'm here with cancer, you know, I'm going to end up feeling a lot less satisfied, <laughs> suffice it to say. Um, so I think, you know, being able to then say to clients or patients, this is how I used it. Well, the you know, and I haven't given you a very in-depth <laughs> description of how I've used anything, but um, this is how it worked for me. This is when it worked for me. This is when it didn't work so much, and that's when I turned to this instead. You know, being able to do that and 
um, I think it helps motivate people persevere with the practice because we all know none of these things are going to work straight away. They all require practice and patience and consistency and effort and they're not always going to work in every scenario. Um, but I think even in being able to share that personal experience um, has been helpful to some of my clients at least in the the persevering and committing. Yeah. I don't know if I answered your question then. Absolutely. Did you did you find yourself connecting with an area more so than an other? You described in some sense creating a relationship or we could call it, you know, creating some distance or separation between you and the cancer and that it was almost like an, an embodied thing. It was a, an entity that's separate to you, but not one that is in a place of struggle, but rather that, that you were trying to, in some sense, have some harmony in between the two to kind of say, if we treat each other respectfully, you won't spread, you know, and, and you know, moving away from not getting caught up in 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 the medical stuff um but there was something obviously about that of 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 your relationship with it so to speak yeah and i don't that was just something that happened innately like i don't even know that you know if someone else had have sat there telling me they did that i probably would have gone all right <laughs> okay yeah. but i did find um it it certainly helped me cope and with all of the training um and the reading and and so on that I'd done up until that point um I was I was actually you know we didn't have a lot of research or uh, evidence to suggest at that point that you know our mindset could actually have an impact on our survival I think there's a lot more coming out about that now and don't ask me about it because I'm not all over it. But um, I feel like what I did know was that what I did here would help me, could help me cope better. And if, you know, if you're going to cope with something, do you want to struggle or do you want to actually uh, cope in an adaptive, helpful way? Um and I'm certainly not talking about avoidance at all, but um, but actually really embracing and accepting mm. this is happening to us. And I think a lot of um, people will identify, you know, with the self-criticism that we have for our bodies, especially um, women, but men as well, all humans. Um, you know, we can be so critical of the way we look um, we can be critical of the smallest things and, you know, we know even it, it's such a subjective thing, um, but even the most, you know, uh, what we might think is the perfect looking model has their own, you know, um, inner criticisms about about their body. And what I chose to do, um, not only with, you know, the, the lump, um, but with my body in general was to become its biggest cheerleader because, you know, I recognised it had a lot of work to do. And there was a lot going on too around fertility at that point because I hadn't had children 
the marriage had just ended um, and I was busy scrambling to try to preserve my fertility before chemotherapy started. And um, I ended up feeling quite a huge amount of compassion for my poor body, that for everything that it was going through. And then later, you know, grieving for everything that it, it wouldn't go through. Um, I'm so, so surprised how emotional I'm getting talking to you. You must be a psychologist. <laughs> um, yeah, so so maybe that was my introduction to self-compassion as well, which mm. is a really beautiful thing I'm only kind of coming back to now because it's interesting when you were talking before about, you know, we get this perspective and if you have a lived experience or, you know, a close degree um of separation experience of somebody else, you know, facing that mortality, um, you think that that's it. You think they're not. She's had cancer. She'll be like, she's going to live this most amazing life and she'll never take anything for granted. And, yeah, it kind of wears off, wears Mm. off, Mm. you know, four, five, six-year mark for me and you get back on the treadmill, you know, and you get sucked into those habits. Yeah, it's, it's that human humanness, the 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 human condition, which which there's so much functionality around as well that we're not completely fused with what might occur. You know, similarly, also trying to, in some sense, appreciate the importance of of utilizing today and tomorrow and the next day and and it sounds very much from your description and i probably didn't give it the 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 justice in the way that i spoke about it um only exploring the one element of you relating to the cancer as you know being distinctly from from you but in actual fact you mentioned dozens of things that you were doing it was very much process based you know it's not this you know you do diffusion you know the the and i think that's part of the part of the challenge with i think the act world in in training and and i'm guilty of that my, my, my myself when we're trying to train or teach therapists around act we you know we, we kind of grab these easier segments you know we call them the six core processes and i think now you know having spoken to to steve hayes and and certainly looked at his work a whole lot more and and um people like uh, uh stefan hoffman as well the the, the process-based space has a lot more i think to be discussed than the you know these 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 elements you know that there's there's all things occurring um and and we're moving around that but with with an essence of whether it's psychological flexibility or an essence of the observer you know if i kind of observe myself even you know i I would say that i have a sense of urgency to try and do what's important now it's really funny because even in that there's some fusion going on you know that that i you know i'm kind of feeling like something has to happen i've got to be doing so i've got to live my values um which is not really quite 
what we're trying to do, but maybe it's a little bit closer. It's not to be critical, it's just an observation once again that this philosophy, I suppose, or way of living or, or understanding uh, can be effective, you know, and 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 useful and, and know that I'm also human. So I can kind of, you know, not be so mindful and and um, get entangled and um, be back in that world of I've forgot. Um, and maybe that's okay too and healthy and, and, and useful. You know, it, it, it gives it gives a comparison too. So I can remember what is important so that when I'm caught up, you know, it's not, it's not futile as well. There's, there's something about the process I think that is important to, to remember about um, not even act about life. About life. About life exactly. is a process. Yeah. Yeah, it sure is. And I think that allowing ourselves to be human um, and I find myself these days uh, talking a lot about just our faulty brains. Like, you know, these things happen. They're not our fault. They're, you know, this brain of ours that wasn't designed for us really, that doesn't have all the parts that speak well to each other, um, that's, you know, 70,000 years old for all intents and purposes. Um, I, I love that ability to allow ourselves just to be human. Hmm. Yeah. How... how... How do you think you have changed and your therapy has changed in the way that you engage with clients is has evolved um you know in in, in these you know five six years oh. well it's been 13 years since i had the cancer diagnosis um and i've been practicing for nearly 20 um oh it's Evolves so much, so much. Um, I I think you know I wanted to be a clinical psychologist who could assess and diagnose and treat, you know, um, mental health disorders and uh, and and I you know did that for a little while and and then you know that just that deficit focus after a while takes its toll um and I've always tried to have diversity across my roles I've never had really one full-time job I've always had at least two part-time jobs because uh I like diversity and um I've probably experienced more than well not more than my fair share but you know similar amounts of burnout that um a lot of people in our profession have and particularly over the past few years thanks to the pandemic, um, I I think I've moved more away from the manualised stuff. I think I've gotten a lot better at sitting with the human um, in that moment and that day. Um, I've gotten less caught up in the story of what a psychologist does and what they're supposed to do. Um, and now I'm able to just sit and be and know and trust that I, I have a massive toolkit and that no matter what you come to me with today, whether I can help or not is another story, but I'll be able to sit with you and we'll be able to figure out, you know, um, what's happening and what could be useful. Um, 
So I don't feel the need to, um, it's not that I don't prepare, I of course I do, um, but I've moved, a, I don't know, I've moved more towards, you know, we talk about and I um, heard one of your guests say this so succinctly and I, I use this in my work as well where, you know, we're, we're often focused on that, you know, scale of minus 10 to plus 10 with zero being, you know, good in the middle and often we're working with people who want to get from the minus 10 to zero. I've really changed um, to the focus of let's get from, let's go from zero to the pluses. What can we add, regardless of what's happening in your life right now, what can we add to help you start to head towards, you know, a life that's flourishing? And I think, you know, we know individuals who flourish mean families who flourish mean communities who flourish mean means a world that flourishes. And um, that I'm just so much more in into that right now. <laughs> than the opposite and whether that's a big part of that is self-preservation um, but I also think we can't all wait until we get to zero to start living our lives now I'm just talking off the cuff and probably not making any sense no no absolutely so, I'm, yeah. I'm hearing I'm I'm hearing this you know sitting sitting with the human the, you know, creating space is, is very much an acceptance model. You know, it's a non-judgmental space and, and that requires real understanding and, and I think harmony in a psychologist themselves to be able to not try and fix, you know, yeah. to, to, to not do solution focus, to, to uh, you know, be present and, and, and model in a therapeutic way actively in, in in session that the urgency of fixing might come afterwards um but rather understanding it i mean it's a very present moment type of work that needs to occur to to accept you know the humanness the the tragedy of the human um condition the fight the tug of war um you know the suffering the the Dukkha, um, there's always competing um, uh, experiences and demands as, as being human before saying, let's now start looking at adding, you know, because sometimes adding can feel like we are invalidating uh, or we're just adding, adding, adding. So we're just doing more of the same. You know, we got here by adding. So let's just add some more, um, you know, rather than, you know, let, let's pause and stop for a moment and take stock yeah. you know, be, be, I, before we try and be really considered really um, and conscious about what do I want to add and why? Like what? why am I adding something? Exactly. I, that's such a great way of putting it. I think that comes with a bit of maturity as well um, and having – I don't know that I could do that before I got sick, before I'd really faced any real adversity in my own life. But I was also younger. Um, but I love how you said that. I think it's made me think, you know, because don't get me wrong, love me some good therapy, <laughs> love love schema work. 
um, love compassion focused therapy. I love yeah. act. Uh, you know, I love love doing therapy as well. But it's right. Why? Because how many people come through the door, and you know they they want to they think they have to you know delve back you know on everything that's ever happened in their life and bring it all up and um, you know unless they really are clear about that bringing value to their life like you know why would why would we want to do that and and like you said life's very very busy why do we want to add more when probably the problem is that there's been so much let's just see and you know breath work is something I'm really getting into at the moment um and doing some meditation teacher training as well and just that that whole space it's yeah I just that's where I feel good I think so that's where where I want to sit Mm. and help other people sit too. I wonder I wonder whether and maybe I'll maybe I'm answering my question as, as as I talk this through but I wonder whether these events are the triggers or they move us forward or whether there is a natural progression toward maturity you know if i if i think about myself as a young person you know uh, i've got so much energy all i want to do is fix and help and, and and the solutions are there so why wouldn't we just grab the solution and just do it right and 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 in we get and and it's wonderful <laughs> you know similarly there are opportunities that presented themselves around grief and loss and pain and suffering that uh, I took very little notice of. I, I wasn't able to internalize, you know, and then in this one little event, um, uh, uh, little is the wrong word, my apologies, one important event of, of of so many that I let slip by, one I grabbed, which was my friends, and, and it was very distinctly different, you know, but I'm wondering whether maybe there was a maturity there that kind of meant that I was, old enough i'd seen enough uh maybe the fact that i had children um spoke to me differently i don't know but um maybe there is something because i just look around and, and age is something right you know that that uh, yeah. there, there's something about age um and i i i love aging i i, I really enjoy i think i've learned more and continue learning more but not because the information hasn't been around. I, I think because I'm just, you're ready for it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just available. I, I, I'm reading it differently. I um, there's something going on, and I'm, I'm just questioning at least now in my mind. You know, is it the you know, the diagnosis of of, of 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 cancer? Is it you know um, I've got uh, family uh, members who who you know recently have been quite quite unwell and and very concerningly unwell it kind of says hey the the end is near um uh and whether these are just reminders but at the same time they've always been there you know just that as a kid grandma passing away didn't mean anything you know it was yeah you can't absorb it <clears throat> yeah and you weren't next in line no, in terms of the no. lifespan and oh. i think i think always about uh you know the stages of development adult stages of development and um that we're always developing like regardless of how old we get and and we still yeah. have to meet our milestones you know i like that yeah 
So, uh, you know, and uh, I mean, the question is always both. I mean, sorry, the answer is always both, isn't it? Like, mm. is it these events or is it the maturing? It's both. Because um, mm. it's kind of like a, a wine. And it's not, not a great analogy because I don't believe in there being a good wine and more scientific than that. But let's let's just assume that that uh, uh, a good wines happen with age, um, despite the disagreement there. It's not like the maturing would happen within the first twelve weeks or the first, you know, twelve months, uh, or there's a certain month range where the maturing occurs. All the time has to happen, you know the. That to to mature, time has to pass, and and, that's and I think something. also experiences do need to be had, not yeah. not necessarily the big ones, um, because some people don't grow, do they? Like very much. Well, and and and, and, <laughs> and interestingly, gr- growth can happen at, at at all times, right? Like it doesn't Ooh. have to happen. You know, I'm, oh. I'm blessed. I say with my 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 friend's passing, he gave me the greatest gift of my life to date that that, that um uh, this this knowingness this understanding this 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 mindfulness that that um was always available but he gifted it in 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 some way at least that's my narrative my story um but that was available you know um at least i have to believe and i have to believe as a psychologist that's available and, and maybe that's that sort of positive psychology that you're talking about as well as that we can add um and 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 look at those things with or without a you know a a, a an event so to speak well, a, one a, of a my occurring. favorite favorite um models and i know it's been criticized but um it's the happiness pie you know the happiness pie. I don't. Sonia. I don't know the happiness pie. Please, Sonia Lubomirsky. <laughs> I think that's how I say. It. Anyway, the happiness pie. So she is very interested in what what makes people happy, but more specifically, what is what contributes to the difference between what makes you Nesh happy and what makes me happy, and why am I happier than you, or vice versa? And so she's come up with this pie chart uh, and it's got three slices of pie. And so half of the pie, 50%, comes down to a genetic set point. So we all have a genetic set point uh, in terms of how happy we will be in our lives. Uh, And then, you know, I always just think about that in terms of being the nature in the nature and nurture debate. Sure. So then we're left with not the other changeable. Half. That's the non-changeable. That, that yeah. that's solid. Yeah. Although what we could we we can go into epigenetics and talk till the cows come home, but I'm not sure. an epigeneticist, so I'm not going to do that. Um, but the other half of the pie then is broken up into two slices. One slice is accounted for by life events, mm-hmm. and the other slice uh, is accounted for by our intentional thoughts and actions so how we look at the world how we interpret the world the story we tell ourselves about the world and then the choices we make in terms of how we live our lives one's worth 40 percent, and one's worth 10 which do you think is the 10 i would definitely like to think that uh life events is 10 it is yeah so i think for me i'd say to everyone this is like one of the most exciting statistics we'll ever learn that essentially 
half of what contributes to our happiness is within our conscious control. How we want to look at a situation, how we want to choose to behave in a situation, how we want to move through our life really um, is within our conscious control. And yet I think so many people, especially, you know, when you're coming to see your psychologist, um, life events happen and and we're, we're moving through the world as if that life event accounts for 90% of the whole, you know, story. So um, I always come back to that. Uh, and that that's something I think of consciously daily, you know. Mm. Okay, if I'm not feeling great, something's just happened, rightio, what can I do here in this 40% space? Mm. And there's always something. And I think, yeah, that's what I try to encourage a lot of my clients to do as well. And then what they do is, you know, depends on what tools they need at that point. But, um, yeah, just this clarity around choice I think is so important. Yeah. And I said earlier about, you know, you get diagnosed with cancer and, yes, you're in shock for a little bit and you go through, you know, the motions a little bit. But then at some point most people come out and they look for where they have a sense of control. What can I control? And there's a lot um, in terms of even, you know, do I turn up to an appointment or not? What do I eat for breakfast? Who do I take with me to chemo? What am I going to wear today? You know, so being able to shift that focus back onto what you do have control over and what can help mm. um, as opposed to being caught, you know, that deer in the headlights and, and feeling as though you have no control over it is a whole, they're two completely different experiences. Mm. It's, a, it's, that, it's that space of acceptance and control where you know accepting those things that cannot be changed That's accepting exactly right. those things that that um won't be changed and and, yeah. and making space for that uh, and then progressing from from there or simultaneously or or in some sort of um strange soup of of, of wrestling with that while you're also doing the things that you can actively change on because it's not like one occurs and then you've you know you've done you've ticked that box and now you can move move across it's much more complicated than that than, than that but certainly a space of where can i regain my sense of control while i'm wrestling with with potentially this this, this other side and and you know in some sense you kind of did that you you wriggled through what you described you know, earlier of trying to find even just that one little glimpse of what can I do during my, you know, really difficult dark spots during chemo, which, you know, obviously was, 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 you know, beating you down physically and, and, and mentally and emotionally mentally. and everything <laughs> and along with everything else. Um, but then trying to even just find a little bit of what you could do while everything else was going on. And, you know, we've been focused on the active treatment part of cancer, but that's only one aspect, you yeah. know. When we're talking about any chronic illness, um, that, you know, somebody's <laughs> carrying that all day, every day. Um, yeah. So active treatments is, you know, very specific uh, part of the cancer journey. But, you know, we know a lot more now about survivorship. And for me, you know, that end of treatment and survivorship issues are possibly harder 
um, active treatment for me lasted a short period of time and, yeah, it was intense. <laughs> um, but the rest of it never goes away. It's always there to varying degrees. And things like fear of recurrence, you know, which ties directly into death anxiety, um, is there loud and loud and proud <laughs> for years afterward um and can really get in the way and can really immobilize you in your life mm. um and they're those times where you know you were just weighing up where we we both want to uh, accept that at the moment I have a higher level of this kind of anxiety that sits there um but then on this hand I can still choose um to live my life uh in you know and and that doesn't always mean to the degree that we'd like to be able to, but there'll always be something that we can choose in there that can bring joy and the experience of other positive emotions, which can start balancing out the negative emotions. And, you know, we start to move towards that plus side then um, mm. as opposed to be so focused on on the deficit side. So interesting when I when I think about the, the ACT space that, that when you're... Uh, life has almost ended due to very serious disease, the preservation response is is heightened. You know, and we would kind of say that is also what gives rise to values uh, you know, of, of what's 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 important. And you know, that that whole space about how we hold, you know, which is which is really the crux of of so much of act of how do we hold something? Because if you hold a value so tightly, it becomes a rule. You know, you suffocate it. Uh, and if, if, if in many ways, if you don't hold on to it with 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 any, you know, gripping that you don't act on it, um, you know, because it can kind of be that way, or could be completely liberated, and then you you know, you just don't hold anything. But depending on what analogy. And, and, and metaphor, <laughs> metaphor, metaphor you use. use, and they're always complicated. But it's trying to find the right analogy um, that that uh, serves the, the the story and the understanding of that philosophy. But there, there's so much of a, a holding experience that's going on in terms of how do I now hold this? How, how do I hold this in, in in such a way that it gives value? Um, and 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 that changes. You know, I like the metaphor of um, at a at a uh, dinner party or, <laughs> at a, or 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 some sort of hosting scenario. You actually can't be with all of your guests at any given time. You you you, you have your back to someone um, all the time, even though they're all your guests that you 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 dearly love. Um, but you just can't be with all of them, and if you try. You ruin it because now you're up on a um you know a stand trying to speak to everyone simultaneously and and that doesn't add value either. You can only be present as much as you can be, you know, oh, in that, that. In, in that moment. I'm gonna steal that. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for Joe the bum to come out. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. And that's so true, isn't it? And so that's where the choice comes in. You know, that happiness pie. You know that's where the intention is. In this moment, I'm I'm with this person or this this conversation in this way. And there's an acceptance part when we think about weddings. You know, a lot of people try and speak to everyone at a wedding. And in actual fact, 
all you're doing is pleasantries for everyone. So you've spoken to no one versus, you know, you've actually only got a select few, which is usually going to be maybe your parents, but, you know, probably bridesmaid, groom, groomsman, best man, et cetera. (laughs) Um, And you're not going to really get a good opportunity to to, to talk to anyone at, at, at any length. Um, it's just not the exactly. time and place that that you're going to get any quality. Um, no, you can only no. do it in, in in small bites, but um, hard to do it when you're doing it the first time around. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so funny. Um, what what uh, uh, what are you focused on now um, in 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 your work? Where where is life sort of uh yeah, it moved to you know, oh. obviously, you know, with all of your experiences and, and, and you're still in Warrnambool. Still in Warrnambool. I'm working at a secondary college predominantly, would you can you imagine? Um, I've been there for five years and I have it have my private practice too. But where I'm heading, well, in three weeks I'm heading to Port Douglas on one of my wellness retreats. So um a colleague and I have formed a company called Being Well Collective um, and we run uh, wellness retreats based on positive psychology. Uh, so we've got our, this is our fourth one um, in Port Douglas in October. We've also, we're creating a an online um, kind of self-paced positive psychology um, program that people who I think who are looking to get into the the pluses um, would really benefit from. Um, you know, I'm acutely aware of the ongoing long waiting lists to get in to see, you know, people like us and, um, and there's a whole kind of host of people who, um, you know, it, might just have you know a, a life stressor occurring and just need some tools for their toolkit. So um, we kind of just thought this is something that can help fill a gap at the moment. Um, so that will come out. We've just recorded all of the content, so we're um, pretty excited for that. And we're moving into corporate wellbeing space because we see um, such a role. You know, in big organisations, not even just big ones, but staff well-being employee well-being is such uh, a priority um and so many people are struggling in that space and the legislation is all coming in now where our employers need to be looking after us and our mental health so um we're hoping to help out in that space as well so there's a bit going on in my world <laughs> wow wow what's the website for 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 that one for any listeners that want to look 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 it up and and continue this that one uh, is inquiry. um so www.beingwellcollective.com.au yeah wonderful um uh, and what what do you do during these retreats if you don't mind me asking oh my gosh well the first thing we do is create time and space because anybody seeking some clarity needs time and space and our retreats are fairly luxurious Um, and it's the kind of experience where you come and we have taken care of your every need things you didn't even know you needed to consider we've already thought of Um, so we stay in beautiful accommodations Um, we do one in Bali each year and one in Port Douglas 
we have morning like a yoga class or a meditation session or a breathwork session, for example, that's followed by brekkie and a two-hour positive psychology workshop, get a workbook. Um, so it's a very experiential thing that you go through over um, the long weekend or the week. Um, and then usually there's, you know, some downtime, some spa treatments, Um in Port Douglas, we go to Mossman Gorge for a beautiful, you know, swim and walk through the rainforest. Um, then you have, there's just a lot of you time, really. Then lovely dinner together and back to it the next day, you know, kind of yeah, repeat. Yeah. So we create, we curate our workshops to be um, a, a little journey. Um, so it's kind of like an intensive, it's probably the equivalent of, you know, four or five one-on-one -on -one sessions that you would get if you came to see me individually, um, but kind of in that, in a way that people can go and take it away and apply it as as they need to, um, but they've got the tools there to do it um, as they need. And, yeah, it's we've had a lot of re repeat people, like half of the people coming back on this retreat came last year, so I think they're making it their annual their annual trip. Um it's really lovely to watch people develop and embrace, you know, the tools and change their lives and take the mm. time for themselves. I think, you know, choosing yourself and prioritising yourself, um, especially when you're used to putting everybody else's needs ahead of your own, is such an important first step. Um, so we we just ask people to take that little step and then we do the rest. <laughs> so. it's, it's, it's incredible how much the fundamental of just time and space is is often neglected in our lives that we're so busy doing work it's it's responsibility followed by responsibility followed by responsibility and because of that there's very little time to reflect um and and, and you know retreats i think are so valuable in that they actually say well you've scheduled time to not have these responsibilities and, and and so by nature of doing so it provides an opportunity that you can begin to start reviewing uh reconsidering even thinking maybe uh, again about your values and um if it's done so obviously stimulated with some lessons about you know the 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 um a positive psych space or act or you know concepts like these pie charts you know <laughs> understanding uh, understanding these the, the, these concepts we're really just looking at what's going to stick in an environment or so how can we make a stick environment to reconsider what's important uh, and, and 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 then bring that back into life because we've all felt so good after a holiday and then said how do i bring some of this back in and and there are clues there and, and there's obviously value yeah. in saying do it again and be mindful be observant you know when when do you start feeling these things when are they valuable like what is that 40 percent? the intentional thoughts the intentional actions that will actually make make a difference um you know so that that, that sounds amazing oh. uh, very I went exciting. on my first retreat and um, this is what made me actually, I used to think retreats were where you went and sat around a campfire and held <laughs> hands and sang Kumbaya or you didn't talk. <laughs> I had no idea really what retreats were. Um, 
we always tell our our guests there's lots of you know coffee and cocktails whatever you like <laughs> no deprivation um but I went so what after I was saying that I became you know complacent again after um the cancer stuff and got caught back on that treadmill of busyness yeah. and I just went I just need to stop and I was invited to go on this retreat in Vietnam and it was the most incredible thing I've ever done and I took along Danielle Laporte's um desire map book have you ever heard of that no no I haven't. so Danielle tells us that uh, instead of you know so I'm like you we're always do, 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 busy, 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 uh, achievement, achievement, achievement. Um, she says instead of asking ourselves what we want to do, because what we probably all realise is, you know, we'll achieve that thing, we get momentary satisfaction and then we get the deficit in our dopamine and we go chasing the next uh, hit. So next goal, next goal, next goal. And it's often just empty chasing. Um, yeah. That's not true, but it, for the purpose of my conversation. Sure, sure. In this conversation. Uh, so um, she says instead, what if you were to ask yourself how you wanted to feel in your life? And so she walks you through this process and look, it's not unlike, you know, using our values as our compass, but she gets you to a point where you identify your four or five core desired feelings, like how you want to feel as you're moving through your life and of course you're not going to only feel those things um but it's kind of like you know getting to that crossroads and I could you know go to that meeting after work or I could you know do this other thing that leads me somewhere that will make me feel happier um, that's a really bad example because probably you have to go to the meeting but mm-hmm. um you know you get to ask yourself will I feel more of this in the same way that we go, would I be moving towards my mm, values? Mm. Um, and my God, it's been a game changer for me in my life. Um, and I came back from that retreat having completed my my core desired feelings homework. And my four core desired feelings were to be or to feel uh, more connected, purposeful, flourishing and serene. And they just unlocked three major, you know, doors for me, uh, and one of those was the decision to start running retreats and moving into the well wellness space, well-being space. Hmm. So um, that's been a game changer. It's been amazing. It's uh, I'll, I'll add something cheesy. Um, <laughs> Please uh, do. Uh, hopefully, no one takes this away, but it it does kind of resonates. It's that difference between hu- the human doing. You know, we're, we're all these doing actions. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Responsibilities, and, and obviously that, that the term that we're all very familiar with is, is human being. <laughs> the, 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 the being being so valuable of of how you are in that meeting. So if you use that example as the meeting, you know, if you're doing the meeting versus the way you want to be in the meeting, um, and and obviously that can be so profound, but uh, not but but um uh, uh trying to trying to conceptualize that understand that practice that you know chew the fat on that is is, is really what time and space uh, uh needs to 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 go out and say you know that's one small concept you know you i'm, I'm sure that there also there is nothing brand new about that um uh, there are plenty of philosophies that speak about that but how do you do it you know, it takes time, practice, patience, maybe some wisdom, maybe 
you know, experience, uh, give it another go, reducing judgment. But the, that's what I'm hearing is that you create a space where uh, participants can be and and reflect and, and, and think about these things rather than, um, you know, getting caught up in, in the, the, the hundreds of do's, you know, there's so much, it sounds wonderful. And that's why moving away, like leaving home is kind of an essential ingredient because there's so many temptations, isn't there? We can always be doing something else um, when we're at home, another job, another task. So. Yeah, my 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 retreat, which I've just come back from, um, is camping. Oh, I love it. That that, that is nature. my world. Um, oh, we didn't even talk about nature therapy. Uh, yeah, we could do another. We could do another <laughs> two hours on, on 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 just 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 camping, being in the wilderness, being present. You know, the, sure. the, the oh, bush TV, the campfire is the best. best my best heart thing. rate just slowed down even thinking about it. That's <laughs> gorgeous. <laughs> But uh, Jody, absolute pleasure having you on 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 the show today, and and um, I just want to extend incredible appreciation to you also being open and vulnerable, and so uh, 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 kind and generous in 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 talking about your own experience i know that many people will hear your story and your experience and and resonate to different parts of it and and begin to think about their lives uh, i certainly felt touched throughout in, in 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 different times i think this is a really important topic um and i i hope that it's not just a conversation that 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 says because of your scare it's meaningful um, that it's unique because of your diagnosis, but rather of saying there's an opportunity here, and clearly I see that in you. You have a positiveness. You you have experience. You have a real understanding of of process based work and, and and time and and, and place that, that 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 hopefully comes out more rather than. Uh, you know, I listened to this podcast and there was a lady who was diagnosed once upon a time and, you know, the, the whole survivor story. And so it, it's far deeper and I think far re- far more reaching than, than that. So I, I just want to acknowledge that and, and, and thank you uh, for sharing today. It, it, it's been absolutely a pleasure. Oh, the pre- pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm absolutely tickled. <laughs> And all the best with your retreats as well. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this podcast, please support it by going to iTunes and putting a review. Subscribe, share it via social media, and tell others about it. Start a conversation. It's listeners like you that make this able and possible and why we bring in these guests to go out and share their knowledge and resources. And just lastly... If you are a psychologist and you want to go out and be part of a bigger team, develop your experience and get into some exciting work, come to strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers and reach out. I'd love to hear from you.